Thanks, too. You know the toughest job yesterday uh, here in re- fixing up the church again was untangling. I had two gentlemen help me in my office untangle cords for my computer. I mean, that was the toughest job. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. Anyone, you know, done that? Oh, not good. Well, really appreciate Lincoln, how he led us through that uh, prayer this morning and, and uh, reflecting. This is a weekend of remembrance. Um, we actually paused our uh, putting things back together yesterday to uh, at 11, 11 o'clock and had a prayer and some silence as well here uh, as we're thinking about our troops and our veterans. Uh, I, I, I've been struck this week of the lasting impact of war. I think of uh, not just the individuals who lost their lives, I'm thinking of the individuals who came back and were different and, and broken. Uh, and uh, it has just a ripple effect that carries on and uh, the cost that gets paid for freedom is, uh, is massive. And, uh, and so may God give us grace. To, uh, I, we ought to be praying and looking forward to the end of all war. We really ought to be thinking and praying that way. Today, as, as Lincoln mentioned, is the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church, and literally tens of thousands of churches across the Western world take a portion of their service to, to pause and, and reflect and remember Christians who actually suffer because of their faith. And, and uh, we don't have to get, go very far these days to actually pull those stories out, the things that are happening in our world to Christians who, uh, in, in all parts of the world. I mean, in Texas, for goodness sakes, uh, a church devastated by a gunman. Um, but we could be thinking of, of places like Nepal, where they've just instituted an anti-conversion law. Sri Lanka, years ago, they did the same. India, they're pressuring for that, where it would be a crime to become a Christian, uh, if you can imagine. And, and so... Uh, around the world, there's that kind of suffering going on. And on this day, I don't know, at times, uh, I have felt guilty as a Western Christian for my lack of suffering for my faith in some senses. And, and uh, so we were talking about this at our staff meeting this week, um, and, and I kind of asked the question, what's a, what's a good response to the knowledge that there are Many, and, and I would say tens and tens of millions, maybe uh, hundreds of millions of Christians around the world who are suffering in some way, shape, or form. There are pastors and believers who are in prison in this, at this very moment. How do we respond to that? And, and we, we came up with just quick three. This is the bullet, is, is we ought to be grateful for the religious freedoms we do have. We should not take them for granted. Uh, we should actually continue to advocate for religious freedom in Canada. They're, they're, they're at threat uh, currently, they, they, and, and I think we'll, we'll be in the days to come. I, I think the other thing we do is we pray. <laughs> and when you hear of something, when you, when you, you see a news item or, or you hear of something that's going on or God just stirs your heart about something that might be happening somewhere, it probably is happening. And so pray and intercede for those who are, who are suffering for their faith. And the third, let's, <laughs> in our own community, let's keep on being on the lookout for those who are marginalized and hurting so that we can be those who practice compassion and, and work towards justice. We ought to be those kind of people who are creating a just society so that people of all faiths and backgrounds are experiencing freedom. So those are some of the things we can be doing. But, but for most of us, we, we live really quite far from the realities of the kind of persecution that other believers experience in other parts of the world. But actually, the story of our Christian faith is a story of of believers, of Christians who have suffered for their faith. We, we've been in a series 
on, on the book of Acts. And uh, it's a, I, I'd encourage you to read it cover to cover. Like, it, it's actually one of the more interesting books of the Bible. And as you, you kind of charge on through the book of Acts, it's these great miracles and stories of God's deliverance and, and, and these wonderful things happen. But you don't get too very, along too very far, actually, before you... Luke, who is the author of Acts, tells us all these great things, but will we'll go on to quite quickly tell us about the opposition that these early believers experienced because of their faith. You had these great things happening. Parallel track is, is trouble, is all this difficulty that they're going through. And, and it tells us that, that with the advancement of God's kingdom is going to come trouble. Uh, in fact, in Acts 14, verse 22, uh, it says that Paul and Barnabas were seeking to um, encourage new Christians. And these are some of the words they use to encourage these new Christians. Listen to this. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> like, that's an encouragement. Thank you, Paul. Like, put that, can you imagine putting that on our front sign or, uh, you know, a slogan on the, on the wall up here? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, no church does that, but there's some truth to it. We must go through many hardships. But Paul would also say something, and I've been kind of encouraging it to, at some point in your journey with the Lord in these days, turn to Romans chapter 8, and uh, there's such encouragement there. Paul says this in Romans 8, 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Apropos words, if you're a suffering Christian, wouldn't you think? And I, I suggest that's the, the central message of our text that we're going to look at today. Like, like sheep led to the slaughter, these, these disciples, these apostles were were beaten, were, were imprisoned, uh, persecuted for teaching the gospel, but through Jesus, they overwhelmingly conquered and experienced the, the victorious power of God in their lives. In spite of all the trouble, we're more than conquerors. And that should be, a, I, I think, a, a massive encouragement to us today as followers of Jesus. And I, you know, I, I want to tell you, and I'll probably keep telling you this, I have, I have this conviction that God wants to continually push us from the, the bleachers in the safe zone down into the splash zone. You know, you're at the water park, the, the whales are, are, you know, and you're, you're nervous about being anywhere closer to the water, but God wants to kind of push us into the dangerous life where what we do for him actually matters. And we change the world. The world gets turned upside down through our very existence, our very breath. Nothing can separate us from his love, God says. And so, anyway, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn with us to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be starting at uh, verse 12. We're going to kind of walk through this passage, but um, let's just pause for a moment and and let's pray. Shall we do that? So, Father, we want to uh, hear your word this morning. Your, your, Your very voice leading us and guiding us and directing us into this life that's, that's really life. And I pray that we might discover more and more and more the freedom to live it, 
the freedom to pursue it with all that we are, and that we wouldn't hold back or be afraid. So give us grace this morning to hear your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you're at, at Acts chapter 5, and uh, we'll just kind of track through here a little bit. Our, our story begins at Solomon's Portico, which was a uh, meeting place uh, adjacent to the temple courtyard. Uh, call All these columns and, and was basically a long porch, a common place for, for people to meet. It was a very common place for the, for the Jesus followers to gather. And we're told that when they gather, that, that signs and kind of wonders are, are taking place, these miracles, these healings, all this kind of stuff. Verse 14 says, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. I mean, all, all these unbelievable things are happening. I mean, people are looking to, to have Peter's shadow fall on them. I love this. Peter's shadow is like delivering people, and, and, and we're, we're hearing in this passage that evil is being confronted. I mean, people who have been enslaved by, by all, kind, all manner of things, impure spirits, we're told, are being delivered and freed. I mean, it, can you imagine? All these wonders are taking place. And, and, and then with all these wonders, here comes the trouble. Verse, verse 17 says, Then the high priest and all his associates, they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles, and they put them in jail. Essentially, um, you can kind of read into the story here a little bit. The, the, the religious leaders are feeling like their, their power is being threatened. I mean, by, by what's going on by these, this, this Jesus movement, their, their positions are, are, are feeling threatened. And so, so what happens, check out what happens. Uh, the, the apostles are locked up. They're, they're imprisoned. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell people all about this new life. Isn't this just a great part of the story? Uh, it, like, it's, it's actually just mentioned in a line, you know, very casually that an angel comes and lets them out of jail. <laughs> they're, they're free, right? And, it, and actually, it's not the only jailbreak story in the book of Acts. There's at least three. Uh, once, once more by angels and another one by an earthquake. But there's these, these fantastic prison break stories. I love to see that on film. But but more important than, than the jailbreak story is, and, and I think I've overlooked this phrase in my reading of Scripture, so this was a revelation to me this week, is this an instruction or command from this angel. I mean, we look to the angels to bring us deliverance, but, but the angel brings, in fact, angel means messenger, and he's brought a message from God, and he's saying, go and keep telling people about this new life in Jesus. Go keep speaking. It's like God reminding them of, of, of Jesus' words, you will be my witnesses, you know? And I really meant that. You're going to be my witnesses, so go witness. Keep telling the, the people the good news. I, I think this is actually a message for us in our day. Uh, I, I think actually in, in recent decades, I'd say even in very recent days, the temperature of our sharing our, of our faith has gotten kind of cool. Like, I, I think uh, just culturally, it's, it's, it's not cool 
to share our faith. It's not share, cool to, to speak about our, our faith, uh, about the good news. And so we, we've gotten kind of uh, quiet. I think uh, the temptation really is, is that, that we're, to, we're to conceal that, our, our new life. The temptation for us is to keep it secret, keep it safe. Instead, God wants to empower us to be the good news, but also to speak the good news whenever and wherever possible. Amen? He wants us to be his voice. He wants us to to bring the news that might only come to someone through us, through me, through you. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we're we're really hoping and planning to to start an alpha course in the new year. We'd like to, to put on an alpha course. We've done it before. haven't done it in a while. And if you don't know what an Alpha Course is, it's basically, uh, it, it actually birthed out of the Anglican Church in, in uh, a church in, in London that Angel and I actually visited earlier this year. We got to meet Nicky Gumbel, the, the, the guy who hosts the, the Alpha Course. But um, it's a, a non-threatening way to invite people to consider the message of the Christian faith. And you gather together in, in, uh, around tables and have a meal together and then watch a short video uh, asking some of these questions about the Christian faith and then there's opportunity to have discussion after where no question is regarded as too silly or ignorant or, or stupid to ask. And so it, it's, a, it's a great environment. And so uh, I, I want you to be praying with us. We've been, again, looking at, at not having a simple structure as a church where we're not getting crazy busy as an outfit, but we want to be very intentional about sharing the message of Jesus with our community. And this is one of our ways. So pray about maybe your involvement either by serving or attending, or at the very least, inviting others to come to our Alpha class. And we'll keep you posted on, on the developments for that. I, I really do hope, Hillside, that God will not have to specifically send an angel to us to tell us to get off our, you know, and get telling the message. Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping we don't have to have angelic messengers. I've got uh, one angel in my life I can't handle anymore right now. She's amazing by the way. Yeah. Well, speaking of telling, this is exactly what the apostles do the next morning. Verse 21, it says, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they'd been told, and they began to teach the people. And then meanwhile, you got this kind of great scene unfolding. Listen to this. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, these religious leaders, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers didn't find them there. So, so they went back and they reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Just then, uh, a messenger arrives with even more embarrassing news. Look, the men you put in jail are now standing again in the temple courts teaching the people. It's like, a, it's, it's, you couldn't write a better story. This is just so good. What do you do with that? These, these leaders, these, these religious leaders hadn't learned that, that when God works, he often defies explanation. I mean, he moves wherever he wishes. He does whatever he wants. Even bars, prison bars, can't block his power when he invades the lives of, of those who are making a stand for him. Now, we're told the captain and, and, and his officers carefully and cautiously now retrieve 
uh, the apostles, they're, they're actually worried about an uprising, a, a riot, if they do this in a, in a very difficult way. So they're very careful. They, they bring them back to the, the high priest where they're questioned again, where the high priest says this, we gave you strict orders not to teach in, his, in this name. By the way, contrast that with the angel, right? The angel says, speak, and, and hear the high priest saying, don't speak. Some of you have heard that message from our culture. Don't speak. And the angel of God says, speak. He says, you, you have, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. We're then told that the, uh, the apostles kind of very calmly and courageously respond. Listen to their words. They said, again, very reminiscent of Acts chapter 4. We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Again, these guys, these guys hold nothing back. Hear their opening line, we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than people. These guys are, are determined, they're passionate about obeying God no matter what, no matter what anyone else thinks about their behavior. They're choosing God's way. They're obeying God over any other opinion that's out there. You know, folks, what, I, what I've observed of Christians who have that same kind of determination to obey God no matter what. You know what I've seen? <laughs> that God liberates that person from fear and, and fills them with his power in, in, in such a, a profound way that they begin to change the environment they're in. Uh, renowned preacher, uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie. I think great preachers should have that, their whole name, the whole, all three thrown out there, but he said, we can't expect the joy and energy of God's infilling if we're saying no to what we know from our prayers we should do. He says, obedience, I like this, is like a thermostat. He says, it opens the flow of the spirit for the needs around us. The cold of the world calls for the heat and warmth of the fire of the Holy Spirit within us. Obedience is like a thermostat. Turns up the heat. I've told you this before, but uh, honestly, when I look at my life, the greatest breakthroughs in my life came after a response of obedience to something God had been telling me to do. Anyone experienced that? Where you kind of said yes to God and you stepped out in what he was asking you to do and you did it. Maybe you were afraid and then it opened up all this kind of goodness and blessing and, and impact. I ever, you ever done that? I mean, I, I think of the, 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 the steps I've taken and I go, man, I, I regret the times I didn't, haven't obeyed God because anytime I have, it's been so good. It's been mind-blowing. We, we, we should have testimony time on this one because this is just, just truth. There, there is a reward to obedience. And I've always been surprised at the joy God has given me when I've obeyed. It opens the flow of the Spirit to the needs around us. 
Now, um, again, this kind of boldness from the apostles did not win them any favors with the religious leaders. If you imagine, in fact, verse 33 tells us they were furious and wanted to put them to death. We're told the Lord, uh, again, intervenes through the strangest of sources, one of their own, one of the religious leaders, a Pharisee. He, he's there, and he, he brings forth this incredible wisdom in the moment. Listen to, to what it says, verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men, the, the apostles, be put outside for a little while. So this, you got this private assembly. Then he addressed the, the, the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel... Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a man in revolt, led, led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you won't be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. It's great logic. I mean, the guy basically just outlays a case for the futility of fighting against the will of God. What God wants to do, God can do. And, and so reluctantly, These leaders are persuaded by this wisdom, and the council summons the the apostles back into the meeting, and instead of executing them, they beat them. Again, very casually mentioned. They get this probably very violent flogging, but they're then sent away with another warning not to speak about Jesus, a warning that the disciples would immediately disobey. (laughs) It seemed the stronger the opposition, the stronger the courage of these men to be witnesses for Jesus. And it says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't that an amazing story? What, what a remarkable picture of the resilience of the early followers of Jesus. They just never quit. And the life of the early church is just peppered with with persecution and beatings and, and torture for their faith and, and imprisonment and, and, and martyrs and murder. All these kind of things happen. And, and despite all the opposition, the church didn't just survive. The church flourished and thrived. And it kind of begs the question, how about for us? What, what, how, how can we gain that kind of courage and perseverance so that even in the face of whatever trouble comes our way, we, we too can stand firm, and we too can impact our world for God. (laughs) I mean, let let me just give you a couple thoughts, um, a couple perspectives that we can kind of hold on to, I think. First, I just think it's important that we understand that suffering is normal for a Christian. It's it's just when we follow Jesus, we're going to experience opposition. We're going to experience pushback for our practice of our Christian faith. If we want to be involved in the advancement of, of God's kingdom in our world, we're going to be impo- opposed, I should say. Uh, New Testament scholar uh, William Barclay, he, he realized this when he said, he said, there are three characteristics that mark the New Testament Christian. First, they were absurdly happy. Second, they were filled with an irrational love for their enemies. Third, they were always in trouble. <laughs> always in trouble. It seems like it's the default 
position for any Christian. I mean, what did Jesus say in John chapter 16? In this world, you will have trouble. The Apostle Paul wrote in, in 2 Timothy, he said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Another good news from Paul. Thank you very much. Okay, say you buy the argument and you say, but, but, but what if someone were to say, I, I, I've, I've kind of racked my brains and, and I really can't see evidence of persecution in my life. I, I, I've suffered, but I, I, I can't see how I, I've suffered for my, my faith, for, for Christ's sake. I, you know, I've got a great job. I've got a great retirement package. I, everyone knows I'm a Christian and, and, and I've never experienced discrimination that I know of because of my faith or my, my family are Christians. They've never harmed me. I've, they've never cut me off because of my Christian faith. What does this mean? Does it mean I'm not a serious Christian? Uh, by no means. There, there are kind of two, two replies to that condition. The one is, be thankful. <laughs> be thankful. It may be that God has, has led you into a pleasant land and given you favor in the eyes of all around. Be, be grateful about that for, for that season in your life. It might not last. It probably won't. The second reply is, is be thoughtful. Remember why the apostles are in trouble. It's not simply because they are Christian. It's, it's because they are overt Christians. They've gone kind of public with their faith. It's their speaking up for the gospel that brings on this reaction that brings on the trouble. And, and, and so it's helpful to reflect on, on, on this question. Are we actually confronting the powers that be in the name of Jesus? Either by our words or by our works for justice. Um, Daryl Johnson, uh, some of you would know him. He's a pastor, uh, used to pastor in Vancouver, uh, professor, author. Um, some of you know Daryl. He's such a great guy. Daryl was, for, for a time, a pastor in the Philippines. From 1985 to 1989, he pastored in Manila. And he says when he arrived in the, the Philippines, things were incredibly tense in, in the Philippines. Uh, people who spoke up against the, the government, pre predominantly against the dictator, Ferdinand Marcos. Some of you would remember him and his wife with the shoes. But people that would speak up against the government were disappearing. And some of them would be found, their bodies would be found floating in the river that ran through the city. And uh, he says you could feel the tension everywhere in Manila. And he says soon after he began preaching at, at Union Church, a, a group of priests and pastors uh, and, and put on a special welcome luncheon for Daryl, and uh, he, he showed up there, and, and, and they, as part of this luncheon, warned him about what he would speak. He says, you never know who's going to show up on a Sunday morning, so be careful what you say. <laughs> you know, their, their advice was, actually, just preach the gospel, and you'll be okay. Just preach the gospel with the implication that if you just preach the gospel, you'll be safe. And, and Daryl's reflection on that was this. He said, be safe. Just stick to preaching the gospel and you'll be safe. What gospel are you referring to? Not Jesus' gospel. Jesus' gospel is this. The kingdom of God is invading the city. Daryl would, would go on to say, as long as we keep the kingdom stuff in the private, personal realm, we can avoid conflict. As long as we silently acquiesce bow down to the idols of our time, we can avoid getting caught in the crunch as kingdoms collide. But once we let the kingdom out of the bag, so to speak, things begin to happen. 
You see, folks, Jesus was persecuted because he was doing his gospel of the kingdom. It turns out his gospel of peace was actually disturbing the peace, right? He's the chief disturber of the peace, I think, Jesus is. And as Daryl says, he was turning things upside down so that they could be right side up. Folks, if we're, if we're following Jesus, and, and if the Spirit of God fills us and sends us on mission into our world, there'll be a clash of kingdoms. There'll be sparks as, as we bring the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness, which makes sense of, of Paul's kind of encouragement in Acts chapter 14. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, kingdom of God clashing against the kingdom of this world is just simply going to be a great collision. There's, it's like tectonic plates grating against each other. And if we're going to live the Jesus life, we'll experience some of Jesus' cross along the way, okay, suffering, sharing in Christ's suffering, sharing in the opposition that he experienced. I said this a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating. I, I don't know about you, but I love the transformation that's taking place in this building. I mean, uh, it's, it's beautiful, and it's, it's very cool. I think it's welcoming, and uh, love it. It's been special. But again, I sense that the physical re- renovation that's happening in this building is nothing compared to the renovation that God wants to do in our lives. It, it's nothing compared to the, the things that, that will change as God's Spirit gets a hold of you and me. It gets a hold of our minds and our hearts and our lives to the place where we will stop playing defense and start playing offense. That we start worrying less and less about our our comfort and our safety, and instead we have a growing, insistent passion to see God's kingdom come here. Here's the thing. We, we, We can't have it both ways. We can't lean into the advancement of God's kingdom in our world and still want to play it safe. We, we can't have both. We, we can't, can't be pushing forward into to the issues we care about in our world and seeing our, our city change while we're kind of leading a retreat into the, the bunker of safety. Thinking about this uh, reminded me of, of little kids playing soccer for the first time. How many, how many have, have been a soccer mom or soccer dad? Maybe you are now. And you, you've been out there on those cold, dreary Saturdays or Sundays watching kids and it's, like, I watch, like watching professional soccer because they can actually play soccer, quite honestly. But little kids, especially when they're really young, it's like the little blob, right? Just, the ball's somewhere in the middle, right? Do you know when, it, when, when, when soccer gets fun? Is when one little kid discovers the, the thrill of breaking away from the crowd and playing offense. And goals start getting scored. That's when it gets fun. That's when it gets good. And I'd suggest that God is inviting his people to stop living in the joy-killing fear of playing defense in the world. He's inviting us to play offense. You know, too many of us act as if the gates of hell are advancing against us. Do you know what, folks? Gates don't move. (laughs) The the gates of hell, hell is playing defense. And our role is to play offense against the gates of hell. And we're told by Jesus that the gates of hell cannot prevail. On the night that Jesus would go to the cross, Jesus says, take courage in this world. You will have trouble. 
but take heart because I have overcome the world. So that's just my first thought. If we're really following Jesus, if we're really following Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised by opposition. It's normal for those who are living the Jesus life, but we also need to remember that we are more than conquerors through Christ, and the gates of hell won't prevail against us. Second thought, I'll be brief, is just the whole surprise and blessing and joy that comes in spite of opposition when we follow God. Verse 41, again, the apostles left the Sanhedrin doing what? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Think of what, think what they've just been through. They've been arrested, I mean threatened, interrogated, narrowly avoided execution, and just before this, they, they're, they're, they're leaving rejoicing, they had been beaten, and yet they walk away rejoicing. And this is commonplace in Acts. I mean, Stephen is able to, to die as he's being martyred, as the stones are being hurled at him. He's, he's there praising Jesus. He's, he's pointing to the risen Lord. Think of Paul and Silas, you know, and their famous story of being in prison at midnight. And what do they start to do? They have a sing song, a, a hymn sing, where they're singing songs of joy in the prison, you know. And I, I'm guessing prisons back then weren't very comfortable. And yet they're praising and there's joy there. How's it possible? Because it seems nuts, quite honestly, that you could experience persecution or suffering for your faith and there be joy. How is it possible? I'd say a couple things. It's the power of God. The Spirit, when the Spirit comes on a life um, and fills our lives, Joy comes with the Spirit. There's no question. I think it's also perspective, a way of looking at things. Um, interesting uh, little passage in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews put it this way to those who'd suffered for Jesus. Uh, he or she said, You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. <laughs> Hear that? They joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property, knowing that they had something that was far more secure, something that was more lasting. You remember what Jesus said, his last beatitude that he said in Matthew 5? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus said that those who are opposed for my sake will be blessed. Why? Theirs is the kingdom. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. Theirs is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Funny, earlier this week, uh, Angel and I were traveling, and we, we stopped at a store that had this hoodie that, uh, and it was just kind of, first kind of perplexed by it, it had in little letters, four letters on the front in a small little box that said past. That's kind of weird. And then I turned the hoodie over and it had in big, bold letters, future. And I actually liked it so much I bought it for my son. He got it as a welcome home kind of gift. But, because I just thought, it's a theologically sound shirt, right? Our, our, our future is, is great. Our future is good. And you know, as followers of Jesus, we have 
this massive hope in this glorious future. We've got this, folks, massive inheritance. I keep loving this word massive. I think it's such a great word, don't you think? Amen? Yeah? No? You don't like it? I like massive. This, this, this inheritance that is so much better than, than anything we could ever dream of. And I think the early church, I think they, were, they, they, they believed this. They knew this. They'd seen Jesus dead, and they saw him raised, and they said, this is a taste of what's to come. Resurrection is what we got in store. And I, I think they, they go, this, this stuff that we're dealing with right now, this is light and momentary trouble stuff. And what's coming is going to far surpass, far outweigh the trouble that we're going through now. What, is, what does Paul say in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2? He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And, and, and so because of this, this incredible kingdom hope that we have, we can speak freely about this, this new life that we have. Because of the, the coming kingdom, we can be bold. You know, We can be bold to obey God rather than the other pressures and people that are in our lives. We can actually take a stand for God. We can actually step out and do what God asks us to do because we're securing God. Because of this hope, we can, I'd say, we can just cast off fear and start playing offense in a world that desperately needs us to. We can start scoring goals for the kingdom of God. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to be in on that? I mean, because with it, with it all comes this really, really amazing gift. And something I hope you've tasted, but I want you to not just taste. I, I want you to experience it to the full. The joy of the Lord. The joy that comes as we begin to not hold on to our lives, not to fear for our lives, but actually go wherever God wants to go, knowing that he's got us, he cares for us, what can separate us from his love, who can, who can keep us from that? Famine, sword, persecution, trouble. None of those things can separate us from the love of God. And so with great security, we can go out and follow Jesus wherever he leads. Let's, uh, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I, I don't know if anybody else has been challenged today, but this preacher has been challenged. And God, I, I, uh, I want to repent and I want to ask for your forgiveness for those moments where I've chosen to just hunker back and retreat and uh, protect what's mine and holding on uh, with tight grip to the things of this life as if they, you know, my, my health and my safety and my security, as if they're really something that's going to make me happy and bring joy, and they don't. Forgive us, Father, where we have put our, our eyes on other things, and uh, help us to, to live out of confidence in you, and what we have in you, and the resurrection of Christ, and, and the hope that we have in, in a, a great future. Lord, lead us into that future with, with joy and confidence. And I, I want to pray, Lord, today for those in our midst who maybe are actually suffering because of their faith. They're in, uh, in a workplace where it's, where it's tough to be a Christian. It's tough to, to make a stand. And, and God, would you grant us grace, grant them grace in those scenarios. 
uh, where we are opposed when we share our faith, God. Uh, again, add joy. Give us resilience, the resilience and courage of the, that early church. We'd love to see that here in our lives. We pray these things together in Jesus' name.